Hello, you're listening to Yarns from the Plain, a podcast for knitters, crocheters, and anyone who loves to play with yarn. Welcome to episode 55, a postcard from the Olympics. If you're a new listener, welcome. Pull up a pew, grab something to eat or drink, something to craft, and come and join in. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. It's great to have you back with us. Now, this episode is going to be a bit of a conglomeration, really. It's not quite a normal episode, because... As you can possibly tell from the sound quality, I'm recording some of it outside. But it's also not quite going to be the normal postcard format as well, because I suspect that I will need to be interspersing it with some bits. When I get back and listen to what I've recorded, there may well need to be some pieces interspersed um, that I record at home. But hopefully that this episode will give you a little bit of a flavour of what it's like to be in London in this first week of the Olympics. Now, I last podcasted to you, or recorded, just before the opening ceremony, but didn't get it up until after the opening ceremony had actually happened. I don't know how many of you watched it, I don't know how many of you are interested, and if you're not particularly interested in Olympics, or Olympic sports, or Ravalanik knitting or crochet, or anything else like that, you might well be advised to skip this entire episode. But I sat down and was entranced by the opening ceremony on Friday night. Danny Boyle's vision was just brilliant. I absolutely loved it. I can't decide whether my favourite bit was actually before it even started, when they they cut the uh, shipping forecast into Elgar's Nimrod, which was just beautiful and had me crying, Um, or whether it was the first bit, the change from countryside to industrial revolution, or whether it was actually the bit where James Bond went and collected the Queen and then they appear to dive out of a parachute, (laughs) with a parachute out of a helicopter. And you think it could also have been Mr Bean completely wrecking chariots of fire. But you see, that's what I loved about it. It was a real mixture. This country is a real mixture. We've got people like me who hang on to all sorts of nostalgia. We've got the ability to take the mickey out of ourselves. See Mr Bean. We've even got a queen who's happy to join in and make it look like she's jumped out of a helicopter, which I think was absolutely priceless. And I just loved the whole ceremony. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I even loved the the bit with Emily Sunday singing Abide With Me, which is not a... It's a hymn that that I have only ever sung at funerals, so therefore I tend to to, uh, not be able to sing it and to cry when I hear it. Um, But the, the dance sequence that went with that as a commemoration of the 7-7 Bobby victims was, I thought, was, was incredibly moving. Um, anyway, that was that was the opening ceremony, and of course we were supposed to be casting on, weren't we, for whatever our Ravel projects were going to be. Well, I was so entranced with the first hour and a half of, of it that until we actually started the Parade of Nations, I didn't even get anything done. Um, I was actually trying to wind my yarn, um, and I just didn't get anything done because I was just transfixed by what was on the screen. Um, but I did wind some yarn and uh, then I wound some more on Saturday and I started on Saturday actually crocheting 
the first few motifs for a Millicent cardigan. I'm using um, Natural Dye Studio Dazzle, I think. Let me just double-check. Oh, I can't double-check. I haven't got a label with me, but it's it's um, Dazzle. It's definitely a four-ply, uh, and it's lovely blues. I think it's called April or Avril. No, it's not. That's nonsense. It's called Alice. Um, but anyway, it's blues. And uh, Millicent is a, a simple cardigan with three-quarter length sleeves and a waterfall front. And because it's one of um, Queenie Amanda's designs, it's based on motifs, but you join them as you go. So there is no seaming. So it's an absolute joy. I chose a crochet project so that I'd be able to crochet on the train, but then not worry too much about trying to take sharp, pointy things into any Olympic venues through the airport screening. I thought if I lost a crochet hook, then I lost a crochet hook, but at least there'd only be one stitch live at any one point so I wasn't going to lose a whole load of knitting as it is I've had no trouble taking my crochet hook in at all so far so um, you know all power that but there we are it's all very eminently sensible here so I cast on uh, or I started hooking that and on the Saturday afternoon I also then started to oh my goodness sorry slightly distracted it's a very large airship I mean, a real airship, not one of those tethered things that go above the the garage, but this is a proper balloon-filled airship. <laughs> um, oh, hang on, I'll be back with you in a moment. Sorry about that, I did capture a picture of it for you. Not something you see every day, an airship <laughs> floating over the skies of London. Um, yes, yeah, so I also um, cast on on the Saturday afternoon using sheepfold clotted cream, um, which is an iron weight British yarn, using cream and then using some red and some blue that I dyed that are quite pale. I mean, the red's more pink, really. Um, I cast on another wool sack cushion. <laughs> I know you. I know you're stunned by this. I, I know that you, you find this quite hard to believe. Uh, I'm more stunned by the fact that I've cast on something that isn't a cushion, um, which is quite phenomenal. Anyway, um, I'm doing that with a simple slip stitch design that somebody in the Woolsack group called Witchwood Lady had um, developed based on some socks that she'd done. So I think there must be a sock pattern that's got this slip, slitched, slip stitch design. But what it effectively does is it makes it look like um, if you use contrasting colours, you have circles. It looks like you've knitted circles, but you, you haven't. So there's um, I've got rows of cream, and then I slip um, two stitches out of every eight. Um, together, um, do two stitches side by side, I slip out of every eight for something like seven rows, and it pulls the contrast knitting up that's purled either side of it, so that it pulls it into a circular shape. And then if you, um, I'm running the pink and the blue in stripes behind it, and uh, knitting the whole lot in the round. So I did uh, Judy's Magic Cast On, which is I've just never done it for that number of stitches before, so that was a bit bizarre, but I've managed it. And, um, and I'm going slowly on that because I'm generally working on that in the evenings when I'm quite tired. But, you know, it, it's, you know, I'm working on it. But I, I worked on it on Sunday. And on Sunday I came into London and went to Nest, 
which is a yarn shop in Crouch End, which is a part of London that I've never been to before, and met up with Green Triangle Girl from the Playful Day podcast and Louise from Caithness Craft Collective podcast, and also with um, Moly Makes and Happy Lucky and Leave It to Liz 79. <laughs> yeah. Um, who are, uh, are all listeners of various combinations of the podcast. Some of them listen to all three. Some of us only li- some of them only listen to one or two of them. So it's uh, but it was a small select gathering and it was lovely. Nest is very nice. There's a lot of um, Rico, which I've not I've seen the Rico sock yarn before, but I've never really seen any of them. So there were some nice things there. There were some lovely um, British mohair from Rutland. Um, very nice. I didn't buy it because I wasn't entirely sure what I would do with some cream mohair because I'm not over fond on wearing mohair myself. Um, so I didn't buy any, but it was lovely to see. Really nice. And uh, it was a very nice yarn shop. It's more than, than a yarn shop. It actually does sell fabrics and all sorts of notions, haberdashery notions. So I was able to get a little bit for a, um, a broken zip. So that was quite cool. So it was absolutely lovely um, to meet Louise and Green Triangle Girl um, and obviously to meet people who listen to the podcast as well. I didn't take any recording. I just disrupted Louise's. <laughs> so if you do want to hear anything from the, the meetup, then you will have to listen to Louise's podcast at Caithness Craft Collectives. But I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you can find your way over there. Um, she's got a Podbean sign, she's got a Ravelry sign, I'll put links up in the show notes. But it was absolutely lovely. I pulled my knitting out of the bag and started to to work on it. And they all said, oh, what are you doing? And then they just looked at me and went, not another cushion. Oh, God, yeah. You've noticed my obsession too. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, I did a few rows on it and it was just really nice to meet everyone. So um, thank you very much to Louise um, for organising that. It was great. Monday saw our first foray into London for actually an Olympic ticketed event. So we went to Lords, the cricket ground, home of the Marylebone Cricket Club, MCC, and saw some of the first stages of the archery elimination rounds in both men's and women's. We didn't actually see any British archers, um, which was a little bit of a shame, but it was... Um, it was really, really interesting. I've, since I actually last competed in any, any archery, which is over 20 years ago now, they have changed the format for the Olympics. So the, there's um, a time element. So each set, uh, each match consists of five sets or up to five sets. Each set, if you win the set by scoring higher than your opponent, you score two points. If you um, share the set, if you, you finish even then you score one point and the winner is the first person to score six points so it can potentially be over in three sets or it can go all the way to five um, and then possibly have a, a shoot off as well so there are each arrow um, each set consists of the archers throw, uh, shooting three arrows each one after the other and the archers have 20 seconds to shoot each arrow which actually feels like an awful lot when you're watching someone preparing but I know from experience that it really isn't that long um, to get your your arrow in place 
find your place on the target and shoot it. So it was um, it was really exciting, and we got a chance to see the men's number one seed um, in one of the last matches we saw. Um, a Korean shooter named Im. I'm afraid to say I can't remember the rest of his name, but he's quite a phenomenon because he actually is. Um, He's partially sighted. He's, I think he's actually registered blind in South Korea. So it was quite, you know, quite phenomenal to think he shoots to that standard. What was very interesting was that the first match was pretty much a walkover, but the second match, the next stage of the elimination for him, was not so much. And the um, chap that he was shooting against really did make him work for it. So it was really, really interesting. Absolutely brilliant. Do have a little bit of audio from the event just cutting in to say that the hooters you hear signify the beginning and then the end of the set so you can see that they actually do happen quite quickly each archer is shooting three arrows alternating um, one arrow each so six arrows have been shot in that period of time So we've been to the archery this morning and we just stood on Westminster Bridge. London's nowhere near as busy as I thought it would be, waiting for the world to go by and possibly for an interesting tour. I'll keep you posted. Bye. Well, unfortunately, I didn't record any audio this afternoon, so I'm having to actually record this back at home and uh, tell you a little bit about what I did this afternoon here. I was very, very lucky to be invited by a lovely listener who I met a couple of years ago at Nick Camp, who I didn't actually ask permission if I could use her name, so I'm not going to, but you know who you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, invited to um, have a tour around the Houses of Parliament. She works there and 
as she said, what's the point of working somewhere interesting if you can't take people around it? So she took us around on a tour. We met up um, after we'd had a bite of lunch and um, she took us into Portcullis House, which is actually, um, I didn't even realise was part of the Palace of Westminster, but it's on the other side, it's a modern building. And um, she started off with taking us around some of the artworks that are in there. The government and uh, parliament has a fantastic art collection. And it was really, really interesting to see very different styles, some incredibly um, evocative work. A lot of Gerald Scarf, which is fantastic to see that we can quite happily have in our um, parliament buildings, or government buildings, I'm never quite sure what the difference is, um, satirical artwork. So, it, you know, I, I feel pleased that I live in a country where we can do that. Um, there was a very poignant piece which was... Um, a piece in the 1960s, it was depicting Churchill's last day, last day sitting in the Commons, and he looked like a very dejected, well I said at the time, uh, a very dejected Mr Toad. I'm wondering now, um, there's more, perhaps more a little touch of the old um, Baron von Greenback, um, for those of you who watch Danger Mouse. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there was just something immensely sad about Gerald Scarf's depiction um, of him. It wasn't the type of scarf that you'd perhaps be used to seeing from the 1980s political cartoons, but there was, it was definitely on its way towards that caricature. And there was something, it was, it was all in tones of greys, and it was very, very um, sombre, I think is the word. Um, my friend then took us um, across to Westminster Hall, which is the only surviving medieval part of the Palace of Westminster. Somebody, sorry, there's a fly in here. Ah, gone now. Um, the only medieval surviving part of the Palace of Westminster. And it was the part of the palace where the trials used to take place um, so it, it is the hall where Sir Thomas More was sentenced to death, where Anne Boleyn was sentenced to death. So a lot of evocative um, moments of history took place in that hall. And the Palace of Westminster has suffered um, over the years with several fires, one in the uh, 17th century, one um, in the 19th century, and again... There was, um, it suffered bomb damage during the Second World War and apparently the ARP warden when um, it was sort of directing the the bits to save. Um, which bit can be saved? You know, we have enough water to save one part. Do we save the commons chamber? Do we save the um, old Palace of Westminster and Pantley Churchill gave the direction that, uh, to save the medieval part because it was the only surviving medieval part anyway um the commons chamber has been destroyed several times so it was um not you know that that was his directive to save the medieval part and it's absolutely fascinating and at one point it was certainly the biggest single spanned uh, medieval building in the world it's quite um quite an impressive sight now, for those of you who are not British, you, you may not know a great deal about our 
government and parliament. And I'm afraid to say my details are quite possibly going to contain something wrong. But there are two chambers in our um, Houses of Parliament, the House of Commons and the House of Lords. The House of Lords um, is the chamber for hereditary peers and also um, those who are awarded peerages by the government. And the House of Commons are for the MPs that are directly elected by the members of the public to represent constituencies. The, there is a long um, history of uh, the two parts. Generally, what, is, um, what, what might, makes the whole thing interesting is that after the um, Long Parliament and the Civil War, um, when uh, basically there was an uprising against the king, and his demands, King Charles I, which resulted in Britain being a commonwealth for a period of time with no um, ruling head of state. Um, the monarch is no longer allowed entry to the House of Commons. So that is, they are not allowed in the House of Commons at all. So when the Queen comes for the state opening of Parliament, she um, goes and sits on the throne in the House of Lords and Black Rod is sent across um, in his breeches to go and bang three times on the door of the Houses of Commons. The door is shut in his face firmly as he arrives and then he bangs on it three times to um, invite the Commons to come over to the House of Lords um, to attend the Queen's speech of the State Opening Parliament, but she does not set foot in there. Although, in the guidebook that um, my friend gave to us, it actually states that the uh, Queen's father, King George VI, was invited to view the new House of, Par uh, the House of Commons, the new Commons Chamber, after the Second World War, when it was rebuilt, he was taken on a private tour with his daughters, um, who obviously came, became Queen Elizabeth II and her sister, Princess Margaret. So she has been in the House of Commons, but only the once, and as a private visitor. Um, but it was absolutely fascinating. Um, we were taken into um, Central Lobby, where you can still if you wish, as a member of the electorate, go and lobby your MP and um, wait there um, until they arrive so that you can actually hand over your concern or speak to them about whatever it is you wish to speak to them about. Um, there, we then went on to the House of Lords and that is the Red House. All the seats are red. Um, the benches face each other um, because Parliament originally began to evolve in chapels. So the benches face each other in the way that they would in chapels, which I hadn't realised before. We saw the wool sack. Now, the House of Lords is very, very richly um, decorated. It was completed in 1847, was designed to be the grandest room in the Palace of Westminster. 
um, because it's the place where the three pillars of British society come together, monarchy, church and parliament. Um, and it says here within the guidebook, the decoration of this interior was without parallel elsewhere in the Palace of Westminster and exemplifies the successful collaboration between um, the architects Barry and Pugin. Um, and there's a very ornate throne, which the monarch sits on at the state opening of Parliament. And um, there are, you know, a, 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 you know, great riches of decoration in there. But there is one plain part of the House of Lords and uh, the, the, the Lord's Chamber, and that is the wall sack on which the Lord Speaker sits. And this is the whole thing that set off um, the invitation was me talking about the wall sack and um, my friend thought it would be um, interesting for me to see the original. Now, it, it was introduced in the 14th century and obviously the whole idea was that England's wealth at that point, because Britain didn't exist in, in the state that it is now, but England's wealth at that point was built entirely on the wool trade. Um, and over the years, as it sort of began to sort of fall apart a bit um, according to the guidebook here its stuffing ch was changed to hair but when it was renovated um, it was restuffed um, it was renovated in the last century um, in the 20th century it was restuffed with wool from every single country in the Commonwealth and every single breed that of sheep in the British Isles that they could get their hands on in England Ireland Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. And there was sort of handfuls of wool from every one of the different breeds. So it, it is now fully stacked again with wool. Um, it's roped off, so I couldn't go and sit on it. <laughs> but there we are. Um, we then from there went into um, the Commons Chamber. And it's tiny. And in fact, it was deliberately, um, when it was rebuilt after the Second World War, um, Churchill was asked whether to expand it, and he said no, to keep it at the size it had been before. So it actually can only sit around about um, two-thirds of the MPs. It's, and that's a bit of a squash. Not everybody um, can actually sit in it, which I found really interesting. Um, but we saw the the um, dispatch boxes that are in front of where um, the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition sit. And apparently the um, dispatch box that the Prime Minister leans on contains a copy of the King James Bible, a copy of a different Bible, and a copy of the Torah. Um, presumably that's from when Disraeli, who was Jewish, was Prime Minister. And my friend was saying that, that presumably the idea is that um, if um, a Muslim is elected to Prime Minister, then a copy of the Koran will also go in there, so that as they are leaning, they are actually leaning on these religious works. So there is a significance um, to the fact that they should therefore be speaking the truth because they are, you know, speaking them over um, religious works. Within the dispatch box um, opposite the leader of the opposition, um, there are um, uh, some of the, I think, fragments of remaining religious texts, 
from when um, the chamber was destroyed in the in the bombing in the Second World War. Interestingly enough, the um, most of the the furniture and the fittings used in the refurbishment after the Second World War were made in Britain, but often using native woods from donor countries in the Commonwealth. And there are a number of items within um, that were given by countries of the Commonwealth. So, for example, Nigeria gave woods for furniture for the I division lobby and Uganda for the furniture for the No division lobby. Those are the lobbies either side of the... Um, Commons Chamber, where the members go when they are voting on a bill. So they go to one chamber or the other to be counted when they're voting. Um, the dispatch boxes came from um, native Periri wood from New Zealand. Um, the speaker's chair was made in Britain, um, but using native black bean wood given by Australia. Um, so there, there, it, you know, and everything's inscribed with where it's a present from. Um, but that was to to help aid the refurbishment and rebuilding of the Commons Chamber after the um, Second World War. There are, it, it, it's just a really, I don't know, very evocative and really, really interesting place. And I was really pleased um, that I went to go and see it. What I hadn't realised, um, I knew that you could pay to go on tours and they are on most Saturdays during the year most weekdays during the summer recess and I think they may even take you into the clock tower which houses Big Ben Big Ben is the name of the bell not the name of the clock or of the clock tower but people invariably refer to it as oh look there's Big Ben and they point to it but actually it's not Big Ben you can't see Big Ben because Big Ben is the bell um, not the clock tower but uh, that, that's by the by but um, what I hadn't realised is that you could apply to your MP um, or um, if you know a member of the House of Lords um, and they will take you on a free tour around um, by arrangement, which I hadn't realised, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, but it was a real treat. My husband has been once. He went and sat in the public gallery um, when... The house was sitting many, many years ago, you know, over 20 years ago, but I've never been inside. So uh, I was absolutely delighted and really, really grateful. Um, uh, and it was absolutely delightful. And I would like to take this opportunity to thank um, our guide. She, she was an absolute star and it was lovely to see her again and, and catch up. Um, so thank you very, very much. Really appreciated it and very, very interesting tour. Tuesday saw us at Wembley Arena for the badminton. Now there are three courts um, in the arena and play was continuous on most of the courts throughout the session. Although the final two matches were actually competed just on the number one court which is the one in the centre with no other court uh, play on any other courts. Which actually was quite nice because it actually meant that we could co concentrate on it properly. I found it slightly difficult to concentrate and pay attention properly when there were three matches on. I didn't quite know which one to, to look at. But again, I did get some audio, um, a little bit of the crowd atmosphere.
It was also our first opportunity to hear some, uh, or to see some of Team GB. Unfortunately, um, Susan Eaglestaff lost her match, and Raj Usef lost his match, and the final match of the day, which was uh, Imogen Bankier and Chris Adcock in the mixed doubles, they had already been eliminated from the competition um, by losing earlier matches in their round robin, so we knew they weren't going to go through. But I have to say, their match was fantastic. They were playing the number one seeds from China, and they were superb. They were the the standard of play was amazing, um, and I'm really, really glad we stayed right to the end to see that. Um, it was just absolutely superb. So it's about quarter to two on the afternoon of Wednesday the 1st of August and I am sat here with my back against a tree, possibly beach, looking at the leaf but I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's spitting with rain so I'll, I've come under the tree to uh, shelter and I'm in Green Park which is one of the smaller parks, smaller royal parks in London. So um, I can just see the Ritz, and um, behind me will be Buckingham Palace. Can't see it for the trees at the moment, but uh, it will be there, ultimately, when I've uh, walked towards it. Um, that is our destination later on this afternoon. But this morning we were at the volleyball at Earl's Court, and I have to say, I really, really enjoyed it. I've never seen volleyball. Um, I have played it um, in high school badly um, but then I played most sports badly in high school and uh, it was a real interesting thing to, to watch I didn't get any sound this time unfortunately but um, it's a real shame I realized after as I sat down here that I hadn't done it but we watched uh, first of all the Dominican Republic versus Japan and that was uh, a really good match Japan won in straight sets but they were you know, the Dominican Republic contested them. And then the second match was Algeria versus the Russian Federation. And I have to say, you could, <laughs> you could uh, just smile with the sheer exuberance of the, the uh, predominantly British crowd who decided quite early on they were going to adopt Algeria um, in much the British way of adopting the underdog because Algeria were getting hammered. Um, the, I mean... <laughs> I actually said to my husband as they walked out onto the court that the girls in the Algerian team were considerably shorter than the girls in the Russian Federation team. So um, we didn't expect them to do terribly well. And my husband said that actually Team GB did beat the Algerian team and we're not renowned for uh, volleyball. <laughs> but never mind. Um, but uh, although they did lose um, to Russia, the points that they did score, every point they scored was greeted, was greeted with a roar that could have raised the roof of Earl's Court. So it, I was absolutely delighted with the support we had. Yesterday when we were at the badminton, it was quite a reserved badminton crowd um, compared to some of the ones that we've seen on the television. And uh, it was uh, good to be at an event today that had lots of 
cheering and um you know the cheerleaders were there and the music in between each point and all that kind of stuff which which was was much more reserved in the badminton but then the badminton was organized in such a way that it would be because there was almost continual play um so you wouldn't necessarily want that kind of racket going on as a distraction so that's uh that's today and uh then we've uh, got a little bit of sightseeing to do later on this afternoon. Again, like Monday, I don't know if I'm going to be able to catch any audio, but um, I'll see if I can, and then keep you posted. Bye. Well, I couldn't resist the opportunity to record now. It's uh, just gone five o'clock and I am sat on a bench by a pond looking at some coots. I think they're coots, not moorhens, and some ducks and a beautiful reflection. And the reflection is Buckingham Palace in the pond. And I am actually recording this in the gardens of Buckingham Palace. So there you go. <laughs> How exciting this is. I, um, uh, my husband and I have been on the tour around the state rooms. We've seen the Diamonds exhibition, which is this year's special exhibition. They have a special exhibition every year in one of the rooms that changes. Last year it was wedding dresses, um, including the Duchess of Cambridge's wedding dress. This year it's Diamonds to celebrate the Diamond Jubilee. Um, so we've seen seven of the Cullinan Diamonds um, all in one exhibit. They've never been exhibited together before. It's from the Cullinan Diamond that was mined and presented to, I think, Edward VII, um, mined from Africa. It's The two biggest diamonds are the first star of Africa and the second star of Africa. The first star of Africa, otherwise known as Cullinan I, is in the scepter, and the second star of Africa, otherwise known as Cullinan II, is in the imperial crown. Um, they are still in the, the Tower of London with Crown Jewels collection. But the other seven diamonds that were cut from that one stone um, are in the exhibit. Include, uh, also included in there is Queen Victoria's small diamond crown, which is tiny. It's 10 centimetres diameter. It's a little, little tiny one that you see on top of her head in her official morning clothes portraits. And also the diamond diadem, which people in Britain will recognise as the diadem that the Queen is wearing on all the coins and all of the stamps and the one that she wears every year for the state opening in Parliament. I actually took the liberty, whilst on the audio tour, of a break in the commentary to sit in the ballroom and crocheted some more of my Millicent. So, not only has Millicent now been crocheted in Olympic venues as part of my Ravelinix project, but she's also been worked on in Buckingham Palace, both outside here in the gardens and inside in the ballroom. I have to say, I am so excited by this, and I know it's a really silly thing, and no one will ever know, but I know, and I just think it's really cool. Anyway, I'm going to sign off for now. I think it's time we headed back and found uh, the tube train home. Bye. Well, it's... About half seven on the morning of Thursday the 2nd of August 
I've been. Uh, today was a mad day. Uh, we got up at quarter past five this morning. Um, convinced it would take us a long time to um, get to the park and ride for Eaton Dorney and the rowing, and then to get to the venue from that. And it didn't take anywhere near as much. So we arrived at the venue uh, to find that the gates aren't actually open yet. Um, but actually there's a bit of general movement so I'm wondering if they're just opening now um, I was going to try and attempt to record something in the car at about quarter to six but I actually seriously couldn't function I've been staying up too late watching the um, Olympics coverage at home and uh, really should be going to bed earlier so I uh, just couldn't function this morning I've poked myself in the eye with a finger full of moisturising cream so it's still watering two hours later um, but I have actually got to the point where I can keep both eyes open at once. Um, I was fighting it earlier, but I'm beginning to come round. I've sent the husband off to go and find some coffee and possibly a bacon butty, uh, but the coffee's more important. Uh, and I'm sat here at the edge, just faintly in the distance. You may be able to make it, but possibly not. There's a man playing the Spanish guitar, which is absolutely delightful. And um, I'm really quite excited this is the first event we've been to that's actually had medal ceremonies taking place but the way Eaton Dawn is set out there are stands near the finishing line which I'm guessing is where the medal ceremony takes place and we haven't got tickets for the stands we've got tickets for the standing area which is about halfway down the lake so um, we're not going to see the medal ceremonies live but we will see them on the big screen um, or at least that's the plan um, so hopefully there are some uh, medal, British medal hopes here today. Um, we had excitement yesterday with our first gold medals, um, with a couple uh, of women in the rowing and Bradley Wiggins. Way, Ale we go! Uh, Bradley Wiggins winning the uh, time trial, men's time trial, cycling time trial. So <coughs> I also have a confession to make. You know when I, I last recorded. You know that little snatch about me having crocheted in Buckingham Palace? Well, between that, being sat on the bench, having done the crocheting and the recording, and then getting to the train to get back, I managed to lose that motif. <laughs> so, my cardigan will not now have a square that includes something that was crocheted in the ballroom of Buckingham Palace. I suppose I should be thankful that it's only one motif and it wasn't actually attached to the entire cardigan. There was a small ball of yarn attached to it. I hope it's not going to actually cause me too much of a problem that I've lost that little bit. Um, you know, if you see me wearing a cardigan with one sleeve longer than the other, you'll know why. Um... So, oops, but there we are. However, I think I could probably, if need be, um, buy a separate um, skein to edge the, um, the cardigan with if I need to. So that's all a bit traumatic. But, um, but there we are, that's uh, today's sit rep. This is uh, really quite early and quite crowded. Oh, did you hear that? That was my stomach rumbling. <laughs> I hope you found some bacon butty So, All right, catch you later.
Absolute precision are called for here in the lightweight race where these athletes all weighed in an hour or two ago inside the permitted maximum of 72.5 kilograms per man and uh, a crew average of 70 kilograms, about 11 stone. And Denmark, with its long, strong pedigree of lightweight racing at the very highest level, have extended their lead ahead of Switzerland. And the Swiss lightweight four, the lead boat from that particular nation at the Olympic regatta, are holding on to a narrow second position. And now the GB crew has once again come up alongside them for second. But Australia, one of the slowest qualifiers in, the, in uh, Tuesday's semi-finals, some five seconds slower than the uh, fastest time posted by the GB four, has come storming through the Australian world champions. Uh, after their performance to reach the gold medal on Lake Blair last year, and now got an overlap on the stern end of the Danish boat. But Ebison and his men look absolutely dominant, so strong, so confident. Can they hang on for the next 1,250 metres? Denmark at 36 strokes a minute with just under one boat length lead ahead of the strong Australian push at 37. And now here come Great Britain to sneak through into the bronze medal slot, also at 37. South Africa in the fourth position, narrowly behind GB. And the Swiss challenge in the centre of the course beginning to fade a little as South Africa looks strong. They just qualified by virtue of their 11th place at last year's World Championships. Only 11 boats qualified for this event at the uh, Worlds last year. And it was South Africa who took that final ticket. A silver medal in Lucerne for the South Africans. We knew they were going to be in the mix here. They fine-tuned their crew to perfection leading up to the Olympics. And now the pressure building. I said that verdicts were so close, margins so critical in this race. Remember that world championship title two years ago when GB won the gold medal by the narrowest possible margin of barely a hand's breadth on Lake Carapiro and the field is closing up. Denmark still leading as the second half unfolds. 800 metres remaining and Denmark hangs on by half a length. The Australian world champions in second and here comes GB. 
Well, it's Friday the 3rd of August. It's about 20 to 3 in the afternoon and it is now us back here in Green Park. Our Olympic adventure is over. Well, the bits with the tickets. We went to go and see the rowing yesterday which was absolutely superb team gb were in three semi-finals they won all three of those semi-finals so they're through to the finals on saturday that's in the now let's see if i can remember this that's in the men fours and no sorry can't remember bring on then this morning we were at the Excel Arena at London's Docklands look, uh, watching the table tennis. So it was the women's team competition, so there was a mixture of singles and doubles matches for that. Um, four matches taking place, um, each one consisting of a minimum of two singles and a doubles match. And one of them actually went to um, a further singles match to decide it. It was... There was some fast and furious table tennis. Unfortunately, it was not necessarily on the table that we were closest to. The first game on the table we were closest to between Poland and um, Singapore was absolutely amazing and went to the full five games. But the rest of them um, seemed to be quite a lot of points being won from mistakes, less more than necessarily schoolful play. Um, the Chinese were competing, but we were a little bit away from them, so we didn't see those as clearly um, as we saw. But it was fast and furious, and um, I, I'm glad that I have seen table tennis. I suspect it may not be a sport I would necessarily go and see a game um, in that kind of 
environment whereas some of the other things that i i have seen today i would love to go and see again i'd love to um this week i'd love to go and see more rowing um i can now fully understand why people go to regattas i really i get it now um and the volleyball the volleyball was so exciting it was just it was really really good really really enjoyed it so you know this is it now we're coming to an end we've got um we we actually came out of the xl and we'd got there on the dlr the docklands light railway and it was absolutely heaving and it was absolutely going to be absolutely heaving on the way back so i'm afraid to say i convinced my husband to come with me on the emirates airline which is the brand new cable car that crosses over from docklands on the north side to the greenwich peninsula on the south where the millennium dome is that's being called the north greenwich arena for the olympics um he hated every minute of it (laughs) i didn't quite realize just how much he hated it until he got off um he was very good because he could have just refused to get on and uh but he didn't he got on with me i loved it you get a fantastic view i saw the olympic park took some photos um saw the Thames Barrier, so saw all sorts of stuff. But he wasn't enamoured, didn't like it. He particularly didn't like it when it ground to a halt and we were just dangling there. Um, and he didn't like the lateral movement on it either. So, poor love. He doesn't really like being in the air. He doesn't like airplanes, but things just freak him out a bit. And, and I think he was a bit freaked out. So... That is just kind of brings us to the end of our of my postcard from the Olympics. It's uh, it's been an absolute blast, and I don't quite know what I'm going to do next week when I just have to watch it on the telly instead. I should be quite gutted, quite sad. Anyway, I um, whilst I was out and about sightseeing, I picked up a, a couple of little itsy bitsy, little small prezies. So. Um, for some of you lovely listeners so I'll have a little workout as to what I'm going to do to uh, award them they're not very much, don't get excited um, and they're not they're not yarn based um, but you know I have a you know a few bits and bobs that I picked up and uh, I will share with you at some point um, I hope to get this out quite soon we're um, back home tomorrow but we've got guests for a couple of days so I don't know how much chance I'll have to get to edit anything but and I suspect this may need a fair bit of editing (laughs) but um but there we are this is uh you know the yarns from the plane olympic postcard signing out until next time take care you've been listening to yarns from the plane Show notes and links are available at the Yarns from the Plane show page at yarnsfromtheplane.podbean.com. If you'd like to contact the show, you can leave a comment over there on the show page, or you can email me at yarnsfromtheplane at googlemail.com, or message me on Ravelry, where I'm Tales from the Plane. Until next time, take care, and thanks for listening.